Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, I have uh, Maureen Ogle with me, and she's the author of All the Modern Conveniences, American Plumbing, 1840 to 1890. Maureen, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So tell me about your background. I am an historian and have been for 30 plus years. And the plumbing book started out as my dissertation and then turned into my plumbing book. So my perspective is entirely that of a historian. I don't do preservation. Right. I don't really know that much about it, but, but I am an historian. Yes, yes. I, um, and what, what drew you into history? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, when I was 30, I decided to go to college and I was, um, I think I just gravitated there and then made the truly weird decision to go to graduate school. I wasn't exactly sure what graduate school was, but I got the sense that um, if I was really interested in history, that's what I should do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, uh, I, I think looking back after all these years of doing this, I think this is the one thing on earth I was actually going to be reasonably good at doing. I, it just, uh, it just works with my brain, I guess. Yeah, I um I had not intended to 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 work in preservation. My 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 father actually was a carpenter, and he he worked he ah. worked on old buildings. And my senior year of high school, I loaded up my whole my whole senior year, except for the couple of classes that I had to take to graduate with with social studies classes. So it was history, psychology, you know, and 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 I was happy. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was no way universe. I, I did go to college when I started when I was 30. Yeah. So um, I already knew like math is not my thing. Right. I, I, I moved so much. I really cannot do math. It's not. So, I mean, it is just it just seemed to be the place to go. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I understand that. So so tell me tell me about your book, um, all the Ameri- all the modern conveniences, American plumbing, 1840 to 1890. The subtitle is actually American Household Plumbing because oh, I household, wanted to okay. make that. I wanted to make sure that. Oh um, yes, thank you for thank it's, you for clarifying. It's very. Uh, it's a very narrow focus. The book, um, as I said, the book started out as a dissertation, and the dissertation started out because I woke up. I I, I wrote about um, waterworks and firefighting systems in my master's thesis in small towns. And to do the research for that, 
I was I was reading a lot of industry trade journals from the 19th century, all all kinds of things. And and it was quite clear, you know, that plumbing was this thing. Uh, And I didn't really think about it because I'm dealing with water systems and firefighting. Right. right? But but so I finished the master's thesis and then every grad student who's going to get a Ph.D. has to think, okay, what am I going to spend the next six years of my life thinking about it? You know, I and it's got it's a hard decision to make. you got to you got to pick yeah. something you're willing to put a lot of time into. Yeah. And one, um, one night I was sound asleep and I woke, I woke up and sat straight up in bed and said, plumbing, I'm going to write a history of household plumbing for my dissertation. And I flopped back down and went right back to sleep. And in the morning I remembered it and that's where the idea came from. Yeah. So I just started in. Yeah, that's, that's, sometimes those are the best ideas, but then if you fall back to sleep, sometimes you forget them. <laughs> That's right. I was really glad that I yes. remembered it because it was truly, yeah. I, I, I literally sat straight up out of a dead sleep and said it out loud. And I was awake enough to realize I was saying that out loud. And then I just flopped down and yes, right. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain was working on that problem. So yes, it was. Yes, yeah. So, so tell me about the development of household plumbing. Um, I should say when I started this project, and this is true of the four books, the three books that I've written since then, I like writing about things I don't know because about anything about, because then I just come into it with right. You don't have any zero. Yeah. Right. I have no preconceived ideas. So I just started out. I wasn't even sure quite where to start. And my original idea was to write a history from say the middle of the 19th century you know, I don't know, to the next hundred years, which I quickly realized was totally undoable. So I I just started out, um, I just started reading and reading and reading and reading, reading primary materials, 19th century documents, diaries, patents, um, lots and lots of magazines and journals published by engineering groups and uh, people who became called sanitarians. So I started to piece together what it was people were using for household plumbing. Cause honestly, I had no idea like right. in 1840, what, what, what were people doing? I didn't know. Yeah. And what I discovered was that in the middle of the 19th century in the U S this is strictly U S mm-hmm. I, I want to make it clear. I did not explore Britain because the right. English have a very interesting history of plumbing in their, on their own right. But this is strictly U S what I quickly discovered was that I already knew that most cities didn't have centralized water right. supply systems and they certainly didn't have centralized sewage disposal systems. This is all household by household. Right. So what I discovered was that people who could afford it, who were interested in modern living circa 1840 and, and um, sort of progressive ideas about household architecture, household activities, were in a sense building self-contained plumbing systems, by which I mean, they might build uh, a little alcove off the house and in it would be a seat you could sit on and the water would be piped in from the, um, from the roof. So the water was always coming from rain if possible, right. or it would be connected to a cistern that might be on top of the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, people rigged up ingenious little plump pumps yeah. to get water into their house. Basically, they're using gravity and 
very crude mechanisms. If you look at patents for plumbing in the 1840s and 1850s, a toilet, for example, sort of looks like the toilet we use now. Mm -hmm. But the assumption is there's not, you know, there's not a lot of high pressure water coming right. into it. It's, it's all going to be fed by gravity, like maybe a tank just positioned above the sea. Kind of like the crappers, but that was in the UK, right? Yeah. That's that's right. Yeah. yeah. So these are these are weirdly wonderful mechanical yeah. inventions. I had a lot of fun reading the patent reports about those things, yeah. the patents themselves. And um, what struck me at the time was how all of this was was really household by household. Not everybody had it. And there were very few ordinances about what you could do, and what you can't do now these days. And this has been true since for the last 120 years, roughly, if you want to install some plumbing in your house today, there, there are pages and pages right. and pages yeah. of things that you have to do. You have to use exactly the right size pipe. You got to do X, Y, and Z. Well, there's no rules because right. there's you no ordinance you yeah. that you could pretty much do whatever you wanted. So the book uh, actually, if I remember right, the book only runs to 1870, I believe it's 1840 to 1870, because I realized that by the 1870s and starting somewhat in the 1860s, Americans really started to rethink management of water and sewage disposal. And they began, especially starting in the 1870s, to build the kinds of systems that we have now. So if we went into a house that had plumbing in, say, 1890, we would recognize right. what was in there. We'd probably say, oh, well, that's kind of cool, you know, antique pump, you know, and now you can even buy fixtures that are right. made to look like those. But, um, but those standardized fixtures that were manufactured on a large scale in factories, those do not show up until the 1880s and 1890s. And so the book looks at how people rigged up these systems in their, their house yeah. that are completely self-contained. It's very different than our perception of how we should manage um, right. so-called sanitary uh, of being matters. Hooked up to you know the public city or public water and sewer right. and all of that. Right, right. Yeah. Now remember yeah. this is pre-germ theory. Right. But but uh, in the 1870s, the big impetus between, behind moving away from these self-contained systems was the belief that cities were just becoming unlivable, which they were. Right. You know, Amer cities had, we're used to cities now, the overwhelming majority of us live in them. Right. But in the 1870s and 1880s, a city with a million people was very unusual, right. even one with 100,000. And the idea that everyone <laughs> could have their own self-contained system simply wasn't feasible. And then the discovery of the so-called germ theory in the 1880s really expedited this push to more centralized and consolidated right. management. Yeah. Right. The, um, when you were talking about the self-contained systems, I didn't even think about it. But um, in Lancaster, we have Wheatland, which was um, President Buchanan's home in um, and um he uh they it it was built probably it was built in the 1830s by another family and then he purchased it from them but there is there there is a bathroom there on the second floor and i'm sure it's a self-contained system because it is a it is a wooden bathtub <laughs> so they made their own bathtub and there's there's a yes. tank above it so yeah so yes. I, and I had never realized i never had thought about that but that that definitely right. was a 
was a self-contained system. That's right. If you are looking deep into a house that was built between, say, 1840 and 1870, and you can really kind of get into the house and find things that haven't been removed that might be original, you would probably find evidence that the family, whoever owned it, lived in it at some point during that period, had probably built some kind of independent plumbing system. And it's not just bathrooms. We're talking water that can come into sinks. Weird, uh, not weird, but um, hot water heaters that would be attached behind a stove, letting the heat help heat the water and shower systems. I found showers, patents for shower systems that look pretty much like the ones we would use now, big rosette heads, and you would stand under it. So people definitely were contemplating what I called all the modern conveniences. Hot water's a big one. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, hot water's a biggie. Oh yeah. I'll tell you when I was finished with the book, I I had so much appreciation for the simple fact of running water. It's kind of a miracle. It is. It is. So what were, you talked a little bit about the the germ theory, but what were some of the, the factors that drove the development of household plumbing? Uh, the, the point that I relied on in the book was that in the 1830s and 1840s, and in, even into the 1850s, Americans were going through a, a long extended period of what I can only call national self-doubt. Like, are we really going to make this republic live? Remember in the 1840s, the United States was only, uh, you know, 50 years old. Right. It's still a new country. And um Americans, many middle-class Americans, and the one thing you can say about American society at that time is that it arguably had the largest in the world uh, population that we would think of as middle-class, mm-hmm. a relatively large-scale group of affluent white people right. who also held political party power. And um, a lot of Americans were genuinely concerned about the future and doubtful about it. And as a result, for example, there was an enormous wave of religious revivalism. Mm, Uh, The prohibition movement was part of this effort to reform America and improvement, the uh, decision that that cities needed to be improved. And so one big aspect of it was that the foundation of the Republic was the family, Mm. the household, right? An independent household Uh, where the man votes and represents the household. And the idea was that for a middle-class American, if you really wanted to express your faith in the Republic and and express the American ideal of being a progressive modern nation, you would live in a progressive modern house. And so domestic architecture, I'm sure anybody who's involved in preservation in the early 19th century knows that domestic architecture, household architecture underwent a lot of change at the time as Americans tried to build houses that exemplified this American way, white material American way of life. And plumbing was integral to that process of rethinking the kinds of houses that Americans actually lived in. So plumbing I was going to say float out of bad pun, <laughs> but plumbing, um, the shift to these uh, really modern 
uh, household plumbing systems was all part of the idea that Americans were living a style of life unavailable to others. This was the gist of the right. Republic. This was yeah. the essence of being an American. So the changes in household architecture and the plumbing kind of went hand in hand through the middle of the century. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And the, the one thing from a preservation standpoint that we see are the colonial houses, the houses that were that were, you know, from the 17, early 1800s. Uh, they um, that usually the Victorians, uh, you know, the in the later 1800s, they would want to put plumbing in. So then they would go in and cut the s support beams. So now we're having to go in and fix those oh. because they, they cut them to be able to put their bathroom. <laughs> so, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, yeah. But that was, I mean, you had to retrofit if those houses didn't have bathrooms, but they just didn't think about. All and the they didn't have running there. water. They right. didn't have, right. right. Yeah. They, they didn't, they, the right. waste they were either nothing. carried right. out or yeah. flowed out into a, you know, a cesspool in the yard. So yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of these houses, it's interesting. I spent a lot of time at the, oh, I'm going to get the name wrong. I'm going to say not the New England Historical Society. That's not it. But in any case, in Boston, I, I've drawn a complete bank on the name, but I spent a lot of time looking at architectural drawings uh, because that's part of a strength of this collection. And I could see from the 1840s on, people who were building houses were not only emulating this new model of domestic household architecture, right. but they were building into the houses, ways to manage hygiene, water supply, waste removal. But, you know, they, there's no um, blueprint for this. There's right. no municipal ordinances to speak yeah. of. So a lot of this, I think, I think it would be interesting for someone to go back and look, especially in New England, where this was most visible, this energy, the sort of northeastern, not New England, the northeastern quadrant of right. the U.S., which was the most urbanized mm -hmm. part of the U.S., right. and where the big chunk of middle-class Americans live. It would be interesting to go back and find out more about the architects who were designing these houses, because it's clear that they've got, I, I mean, it's not clear where they're getting the ideas, but it's right. clear that uh, these are funneling into the system of changing domestic architecture. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. That that would be that would be interesting to look at because that was probably about when things start to get more standardized too with architects actually designing buildings, not just, you know, a farmer going out and building a structure. That's right. There was yeah. a, yes, there was yeah. a certain amount of standardization, which increases dramatically after the 1880s, because that is when municipalities began devising building codes, right. zoning laws. And so every, there's a lot of standardization going on so that if you, when you would go to finally plumb a house in say the 1890s, everybody had the same sense of, you know, you have to do this and you got to right. do this. Yeah. And you got to do this. This is what and works. I, we're not inventing this, right. this is what works. Yeah. You know, this is yeah. what works. Yeah. 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 So, so how did the development of water supplies and, and wastewater management technology influence household plumbing? Oh, it was enormously influential because as as Americans, urban Americans, again, right. particularly yeah. in, the, yeah. in the northeastern United yeah. States, began confronting uh, growing urban populations and the big mess that was coming with it. Um, oh, God, sorry. I, this okay. always happens. I, I, just ask me the, um, uh, 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 how. Did, oh, centralized water. Yes. 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 So what in in the especially 
from the 1880s on. There are limited steps in the 1870s toward this, but, but in the 1880s, city after city began adopting this. It, they, they weren't exactly identical yeah. codes, but they were all quite similar. And there, by that time, a group of professionals had also claimed expertise in the area of plumbing, and they, they referred to themselves as sanitarians. Okay. And they were the ones who are thinking really hard about how do you manage sewer gas? How, you know, how, right. how loopy should the pipe be that will block the sewer gas? Uh, do you need vents on the roof? So you've got this group of self-appointed experts who are publishing professional trade journals. You could pick up any middle-class national magazine and read yeah. all about this stuff. People were fascinated by it. But the move to centralize water supplies and sewage meant that these household systems, they're done for. They can't be used right. anymore because now, you, right. now the inside of your house is going to be connected yeah. to this municipal authority outside. And, and the the ideas of the sanitarians and their the requirements they drew up for these are what governed household plumbing after after from the 1880s on right. you, you know you literally you could no longer build your own self-contained system did you um talk at all about the or, or research at all about like the combined sewer systems like that's what we have in in lancaster do you know um, so that's like all, when we have a big rainstorm, our sewer d dumps into our river too because the the two systems are combined because that was the right. way that they built them. Right. So we get fined from the EPA every time it happens. We get fined from the EPA. So that right. that's one of those infrastructure things that need to be updated. But I didn't know if that was. I I think it was fairly common in the on the East Coast. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it, at that yeah. time, I I right. think many of us would probably be shocked by the sewage control systems. Right. To be honest, yeah. because um, how to deal with a mass of human waste right. to say nothing of waste from just fixing and eating meals, right. all of that stuff um, on a grand scale. It had to be figured out. These are people who are doing trial and error. And right. I, after I finished this book, when I was still in graduate school, I went on to do some more research. And by the turn of the century, especially in the 1890s and the first decade of the 20th century, cities were experimenting with all kinds of, some, some of them truly bizarre ideas like <laughs> pneumatic, a central pneumatic pipe that you would open a flap and everything would just shoot into oh, the central. Yeah. And uh, like big, a garbage, uh, not like a garbage disposal, like the, the garbage chutes. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Like a garbage chute in yeah. a New York City high rise. Right, yeah. exactly. Except it would be pneumatic. So people are uh, really thinking hard about how to manage urban waste, the idea of burning things instead right. of dumping them or putting them on the barge and just taking them pretty far out into the bay and dumping them yeah. somewhere. That, that Americans thought hardest about that in, the la in, in that 30 year period from about 1880 to maybe 1920, I guess that's 40 years. And this was global, I should add. By this time, cities in South America, in Europe, Britain, they are all getting on board with this. So there's this big international um, group of experts. Again, they're self-appointed, but right. they, they have accumulated a pretty big body of knowledge. Engineers who worked in this, that is a new field, the idea of water engineering. Right. You know, 
on on this scale and for urban purposes, as opposed to say a big Roman aqueduct. I mean, these are yeah. there. Some of the ideas when I looked back, I thought, well, that's pretty funny. But you can see that people are thinking They're hard thinking about figure, what, yeah. yeah, how are we going to deal with this? The toilet, for example, had to go through a whole bunch of um, what's a word refinement once water once there was a lot of pressure you know when you flush oh, your yeah. toilet now it right. works because there's a lot of pressure right from a huge water right. tower yeah. so everything had to be rejiggered and it took a while I we have not changed very much of it since then right. you know I, yeah. I it's not prob I don't know how ecologically efficient it is or environmentally efficient I don't know but it's it hasn't really changed right. very it's, much. It's the, the, the basic yeah. mechanics are, are the same. Yeah. 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 So is there um, anything that, that as we were talking, you thought about that you wanted to share um, that I didn't think to ask you? I, I would say that if you are into preservation, it, you know, it, a house built in 1840 is, is obviously one kind of thing. But right. if you're, then if you're talking about a house, say built in 1890, the plumbing is going to be very, very different oh, in yes. that house. And so, and any house that lasted that long and remodeled, you know, if you can find bits and pieces of it, you may find yourself looking at think, something and thinking, what in the world was that for? What right. was going on yeah. here? Well, start thinking about maybe there was a pipe coming in from outside. Maybe this was connected to a cistern at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, it definitely it. doesn't I, look like yeah, now. That's really, that's really a good point. Cause sometimes we'll, we'll be at a, at a job site and we'll be like trying to figure out what was this for? So yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah so I, I definitely think that that this will give me some, some clues of La one time when the book came out, I was invited to give a talk at the Emily Dickinson house. The book came out in, I think, 1996. So yeah. it's an old book. I don't think there's been one written to, uh, you know, I wish somebody else would look into right. it. But so I got to go to Jane, Jane, not Jane Austen, Emily Dickinson. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> the Emily Dickinson houses, there's her house and then her sister and brother-in-law's house. Yeah. And the two, um, archivist curators who run those houses said we do have this thing we have never been able to figure out what it is you know they had managed to figure out what most of the stuff was right. and I couldn't figure out what it was either it was in the basement of the house I have no idea what it was <laughs> but you know but in the rest of the house they were able to show me where things had been you know yes. they had figured out where pipes had come in because those houses were built in the late 1830s early right. 1840s yeah. Uh, they're wonderful houses to look at for that. If you want to see sort of great examples of uh, the new interest in progressive American household architecture, right. domestic architecture. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really that's really funny that you mentioned that because last week's guest was um, he wrote a book called um, Why Preservation, and he's a he's a professor at the University of Massachusetts in um, in Amherst, and he, in, he in was Hems talking about the Emily Dickinson. So you both yes. talked about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So very good. Well, um, where can someone um, purchase your book? Um, it came out in 1992, and I guess it's still in print. I don't know. I know it's for sale on Amazon. Okay. It was published by Johns Hopkins. And I guess they've still got it in print. Okay. So you could get it there. You could order it. I mean, any bookstore would order it for people. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. And, and yeah. Um, 
if someone was interested in, in speaking with you or contacting you, how would they, how should they contact you? I have a website, which I don't use very much anymore, but I do have a website okay. and my email address is right there on the front page. Okay, you can perfect. easily get a hold of me. Okay. Pretty easy. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you so much for your time thank and, you. and your Thanks. conversation. I enjoyed it. Good. Thanks. I look forward to hearing your result. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.